Let's take a bit of a break. If you've listened to this show, you know I have a hard time passing up any kind of space story. I'm fascinated by space. Kind of the same thing when it comes to dinosaurs. So we're going to chat dinosaurs for a little bit here. Now, when you think of dinosaurs, what comes to mind? T-Rex, right? For most of us, maybe raptors. That makes sense. They're the coolest of the dinosaurs, and that's why they're the stars of all the Jurassic Park movies. Uh, They're real-life, once-upon-a-time monsters. You know, we're not going to sit in a theater and watch a movie about a kind of impressive herbivore dinosaur. That doesn't mean they should be overlooked, though. Dinosaurs are dinosaurs. They're all very cool. And uh, some of the more, shall we say, pedestrian, less exciting dinosaurs are actually the biggest tools we have in learning about what the Earth was really like millions and millions and millions of years ago. To get some insight on that now, Riley Black, who is a freelance science writer specializing in evolution, paleontology, and natural history, regular contributor to Scientific American, uh, joins us now. Riley, thank you for joining us. Appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me on the talk, Average Dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> and well, you recently penned a piece titled An Ode to the World's Most Average Dinosaurs. I mean, it's true the T-Rex sucks up all the attention when we talk about dinosaurs. I kind of feel bad for your more average or less spectacular ones, but they deserve some recognition, don't they? It's not all about the big shots. Oh, absolutely, especially since so many of these, as you turn them, pedestrian dinosaurs, they were the herbivores. They're the equivalent of, like, deer that lived (laughs) in these ancient forests. So you wouldn't have an ecosystem. You wouldn't have those carnivores without these dinosaurs, for one thing. Now, when we talk about dinosaurs, let's let's define the parameters we're talking about here. As as I say, we're Mm -hmm. familiar with, you know, Tyrannosaurus rex, Stegosaurus, the ones that we see in the movies. But there's got to be countless species that we may not be familiar with, right? What is your average dinosaur, and how many different kinds of average dinosaurs do we know about? Right, so when we say average, there are two ways to think about this, right? One is in terms of, like, body size or body type. And there are as many different forms of dinosaurs in the ancient past as there are, like, mammals today. They really did, like, dominate the terrestrial ecosystems. So when we talk about an average body size, we're talking about, like, 3,000 kilograms or so. That's so this big. This is a big animal. Yeah. So this is, so really, like, we're kind of in this megafaunal lull where many of the animals around it say are relatively small because of recent extinctions. But the world of the dinosaurs in particular, you know, more than 66 million years ago, it was life at a bigger scale. Your average animal is actually quite a bit bigger. And when we talk about sort of body shape or ornamentation and these sorts of mm-hmm. things, many of what we think of as sort of the unassuming dinosaurs, these herbivores that made the base of the ecosystem. Um, they were the ornithopods, things like hadrosaurs, like duck-billed dinosaurs, right. things like that, and them and their relatives. Why is it important to pay attention to these? Like you say, we can learn a lot from them. What can we learn by studying the ones that don't grab the headlines? There's a lot of really basic biology that we don't know about dinosaurs yet, or at least we're trying to understand. For example, their physiology, we're pretty sure that they were warm-blooded, that they grew fast, were very active. There's lots of lines of evidence about that. But some of the most salient clues that we're going to get are from animals that were relatively common on the landscape, a good sample size. Like if you're a biologist today and you want to study something like ravens, for example, you want to have a good sample size. You want to study a whole bunch of ravens to see how did they grow up? How did one population vary from another? You're not going to get that from a carnivore that's super rare or or an animal that you might know from only one specimen. So the fact that these dinosaurs were kind of everywhere, these herbivores, these ornithopods, were super, super common, you can learn a lot about the basics, the fundamentals of dinosaur biology because you have so many of them 
to study. So that, in a way, it might seem like it makes them boring because there are so many. Yeah. But it's actually great from a scientific standpoint. Well, yeah, I mean, when, when, a, when a T-Rex is discovered, that's news. I mean, we hear about it. We, we, we know mm-hmm. that they've discovered another T-Rex fossil. Um, have they discovered, like, herds of these, as you so call them, deer dinosaurs? Like, is, are they that much more common? They have a lot more to work with? Oh, absolutely, especially a particular animal called Edmontosaurus that was found initially in the vicinity of Edmonton. Yeah. You find it through Montana and the Dakotas. They're sometimes called the cows of the Cretaceous because they were just that common. We don't always find them in groups. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But the more dots that you kind of put on the map and through time, the more that we can start to make these comparisons and correlations. Whereas, like you mentioned, T-Rex, we only have about 50 partial skeletons of T-Rex from a two-million-year window spanning, like, southern Saskatchewan to northern Mexico. And that's a huge amount of time and a huge amount of space. So really, like, this is a rare animal that we don't know a whole bunch about. If you want to understand dinosaur biology, you have to turn to an animal like Edmontosaurus that really was covering this whole landscape. And you make these comparisons that are kind of impossible for other rarer animals. What about just learning about the Earth itself, like not necessarily the animals? When you have a larger population and uh, a wider variety of the animals that were on the planet at that time, can we learn some clues about what the planet itself was like based on these findings? Well, absolutely. These things are all connected, right? So animals, they live in an ecosystem, and the ecosystem involves the atmosphere, it involves geology, it involves hydrology, the rain cycle, all these things together. So by saying, okay, we've got this big herbivore, and it digests food in this way, and it must need this much food, so this ecosystem must be productive in this particular point. We can look at plants, and why are those plants there? Well, we have to look at the rain cycle. So it all kind of ties into each other, not to mention that dinosaurs changed the landscape that they were right. on. Uh, it, today, you know, elephants and rhinos and hippos, we call them mega herbivores, and that they're so big that they push over trees, they create paths through meadows, they keep ecosystems open in some ways, they can create ponds and lowlands, depending on where they walk. So it's not just about the animal itself, as you said, but these animals change the environment around them, and it all ties together. Each point is like a thread that you can start pulling at and getting at all these other questions. Fascinating stuff. Really interesting. What's your favorite dinosaur? Still the T-Rex, right? (laughs) Well, I wrote a book called My Beloved Brontosaurus, and there's some debate about whether Brontosaurus is valid or not, but I've always had a soft spot for those big, kind of long-necked, hulking herbivores that were wandering around the Jurassic. So if you twisted my arm and made me pick one, that's probably the one that I would... That's still another superstar dinosaur, though, Riley. That's not one of the boring, more average dinosaurs. It is, but I am doing some research on a boring one called Camptosaurus, so hopefully in a year or two we'll have something more to say about that one. All right, I'm I'm trying to start low and work, work my way up. Okay, awesome. Thank you, Riley. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. That's Riley Black, who is a scientific reporter uh, focused primarily on evolution and human history.